This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. Somewhere deep inside cubic earth, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Ribot Captain David Jin. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. They're all available in regular time and cubic time. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Box and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have one news item for you today. BattleBots builders took home top prizes this past weekend at Norwalk Havoc, the first of six qualifying events of the year for the league. In the Beetleweights, Sable's Captain Jameson Go fought his way through the elimination bracket with Silent Spring, advancing his way to the finals to defeat WPI student James Wynn and his bot Stoneforge. In the 12-pound division, it was a fight between friends Zach Knight and Michael Shore, who took home first and second place respectively with their bots Promheta and Carmen. Finally, in the 30-pound division, Valkyrie driver Fred Moore went the distance with his bot Marathon, which went undefeated. The other big notable moment of the weekend was the Norwalk Havoc debut of Deep Six Captain Dustin Eswine, who managed to shatter the inner 3-8-inch Lexan panel in the big box with a 45-pound dual-spinner bristlebot called Depth Charge. The arena has a 1-inch air gap and a second, thicker Lexan panel on the outside, which was not damaged. Nobody was hurt, and the crew was able to replace the damaged panel within 30 minutes. Uh, I want to pause here. Uh, Chris, Lindsay, Kyle, I know that you... Uh, uh, Kyle, you tuned in. Uh, Chris Lindsay, uh, we were there. Um, any thoughts on Death Charge? Any thoughts on the weekend? Any other uh, the 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 robots that that, that we saw? Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to roll back uh, the 16 hour um, uh, wheel of tape in my head. There were a couple of uh, you know bots that had really stood out to me. I I really love. Um, the, the two uh, control bots, uh, one being uh, Clyde and the other one um, is, uh, yeah, maybe, no, hold on one second. I wish I had a chance to think about this beforehand. Um, sorry, let me just go to the NHRL thing. Or maybe you can help me. I think it was Jolly Rancher of Death. Jolly Rancher of Death. I called it. That was Clyde. Mm, <laughs> all right, what was the other? I mean, Tothic went super deep. That was like the little sables. Tothic, I really yeah. impressed. Me. Yeah, Tothic, it, 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 that's right. It's like a three pound sables. That's. It was really fun to watch that bot. I th- obviously, they were having a little trouble with the articulating arm uh, throughout the day, but like 
they, you know, when, when that thing was working, they were very Jameson-esque with uh, the delivery of that, uh, of that rotating vertical on the top. That was pretty, uh, that was pretty great to watch. One standout for me was just uh, watching Joe Fabiani's brain at work. Um, He brought a a bot that he had actually teased a little bit um, when we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago called Smeezus that had a, um, you know, an unconventional drive system that I still, I still need to like learn a little bit more about. I wish, I wish we could have gone a little bit deeper into how the mechanism worked. Um, but in addition to Smeezes, he had a, I don't even know if you can call it a multi-bot. I don't know if it had any robotic components to it at all, but he brought a giant inflatable penguin, um, that before the match began, I saw him pouring a a type of liquid into the butt of the penguin. (laughs) And as soon as I saw that happen, I go, Oh no, no, this, this can't be good, but, but actually like really, really good. (laughs) Um, And then when I saw that he was fighting firebug, which is a very hot, hot, you know, flamethrower robot, it all kind of came together. Um, and that was like one of the most joyous moments that I can recall in uh, in robotics, like watching that fire penguin just it, completely evaporate into just charred embers on the uh, uh, on the box floor. Like that was that was something else. Uh, and then poor Smeezus, before the match even began, it looked like a motor just popped out of the bot. I don't, I still don't really know what happened there, but. Man, that was a, it was it was a, definitely a fun time. I enjoyed um, uh, Andrew Davis's fights also uh, with uh, his sons. Um, they're they're driving uh, Jack Move and Jack Rabbit in the three pound division. Um, yeah, you know the family story is great. Uh, I love their bots. Um, one of my favorite uh, anecdotes that I don't know if anybody else saw it besides myself during the event, but. Uh, one of his sons, like right before the beginning of a three pound match, like dropped his radio control and it just exploded into different Aww. pieces and batteries went everywhere. And like, they're just about to start the countdown. And by the time the countdown uh, had finished and the match had started, he had already had the controller back together and turned on and the bot was going. Wow. Um, that is like, that is, <laughs> that is, um, uh, working with what's dealt to you under pressure. And uh, I'm sure that is uh, his son learned a very valuable lesson about using the uh, the neck strap that comes with the controller. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did not see that that happen. That's what a story. I love it. Kyle, you were missed. Uh, looking forward to, uh, to having you rejoin us in April. And, um, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, they, we've got basically three months back to back of robot competitions at Norwalk. So, uh, so looking forward to that. I will say I okay. got to watch the Smeezes fights, uh, with the fire penguin with a four-year-old, a three-year-old, um, a six-year-old and a seven-year-old. And they were just delighted. They didn't understand why the penguin was on fire. But they thought it was hilarious. Um, and Joe Fabiani was, I think, everybody's favorite person at that time. Uh, the competition looked great from the outside. It was really fun watching the stream. It was really fun watching how it went. 
Um, it was also nice to sit back and drink a beer and watch robots fight. That was kind of cool. All right. Very well said, Kyle. Uh, and that is it for this week's news. Now, before we get into our interview with David, it's time yet again for Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 57 people participate in Snap Decisions. Nobody's bracket escaped unscathed this past week. However, there were six people who managed to call eight out of nine fights correctly. Those people were Ben Cooper, Chris Horry, Craig Bowie, Heather Stringfellow, Megan Jane, and Richard Sum. The easiest fight to call last week was Whiplash versus Ice Wave, with 55 out of 57 people correctly predicting that Whiplash would win. The biggest upset, in a night of multiple upsets, was Mad Catter versus Black Dragon, with just 15 people correctly predicting that Black Dragon would win. Now before we get into uh, this week's predictions, I want to pause and get your thoughts on the second half of the round of 32. We saw back-to-back wins from Hydra, who managed to kill the number two seed Ribot, a back-and-forth slugfest from Black Dragon, which cracked its drum but still managed to eke out a judge's decision win, Blip take on its toughest opponent yet, Jackpot survived Tombstone, and the powerful spinners of Cobalt, Rotator, and Tantrum taking out two shell spinners and a Yeti. Uh, Chris, Kyle, Lindsay, your thoughts on last week's episode. I thought it was a pretty exciting episode. Um... I, uh, you know, obviously, uh, like always, I was way off the mark um, with my <laughs> with my guesses, uh, but that's fine. That's what makes it fun. Um, you know, it was uh, it was interesting to see uh, some of the outcomes. You know, there were some that were, uh, you know, uh, no surprise. And then there were some that were some big surprises. I, I, I really enjoyed. I am sorry if I don't have all of the energy in the world right now. <laughs> we're all coming from Norwalk Havoc. And uh I have bags under my eyes that um, uh, could, I, you know, uh, probably fit huge in each each one of them. <laughs> um, so uh, I I was very excited. I remember last week when this uh, when this episode was airing, uh, you know, um, Ribot and its airtime and uh, you know the that that slugfest like you had mentioned black with Black Dragon. Um, you know, it was it was a it was a great episode. Um, love seeing Blip. Uh, Maybe, you know, um, uh, one of the Cinderella stories this season, uh, which is, uh, you know, expected um, because it's from the team from Tantrum, which had their Cinderella season last uh, last year. Um, uh, really great that they uh, have kind of hammered out a formula where they can just keep bringing something new and interesting and uh, and it gets better and better. I think that, um, you know, we still continue to see instances of... Um applying the rules, you know, are, seem to be inconsistent. Um, especially when it comes to movement and controlled movement, I think that there was a lot of, um, there's an argument that could be made that Ribot should not have been counted out that it was, you know, still had, it was crab walking, but it was controlled. It was definitely not flailing or unable to move. It moved across half of the arena and not, you know, not too slowly. So I do, I do ha- have to wonder like what's going on there sometimes. Um, but you know, referees like everybody are humans and they are infallible, but it seems like Last season, we might have been spending a lot of time questioning judges' decisions, whereas this season, it seems like there's a lot of time questioning like referee calls. 
Um, and you know, that's part of the sport. That's part of any sport, but it affects how things go. And, uh, I, I don't know what the solution is necessarily, but, uh, you know, it's something that affects, affects the progress of the tournament. I a thousand percent agree. It's the ref calls that have been problematic this year. Um, and a lot of it is, I think that the expectations of the builders going into things just haven't been met too. Um, like we saw some weirdness with count outs and what constitutes, um, movement, right? We saw, we've never seen a count out start on the upper deck, uh, for being there for longer than 10 seconds. Technically that's in the rules. It's just, it's been very strange and inconsistent and I don't quite know why that is or why that perception is. And I don't really know how to fix it, right? Refs are just people. They only have one eye on the box in one direction. They're going to see stuff differently. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Personally, I love this episode. It stinks that there were some like kind of questionable referee calls because there were some great fights and some really great moments. And I think the people that won were the people that were supposed to win um, in almost every single. No, in every single circumstance, it just stinks that those wins are kind of sullied by uh, unfortunate referee calls. Well said, Kyle. Okay, let's uh, let's get into this week's snap decisions. Uh, we are entering the round of sixteen. Very exciting because this was the session that I got to see live in Las Vegas after Thursday. I have no idea who advances uh, to the uh, the top four. Uh, I have no idea who wins the giant nut. I'm going to be just as excited as the rest of you and surprised, uh, in two weeks from now when we, when we do crown a giant nut winner and maybe I can give you a little bit more, I don't know, I guess color, um, (laughs) from the audience, uh, after, after Thursday. Um, okay. Let's, um, let's jump into the first fight of the night. Um, my lag (laughs) on this podcasting platform is still several seconds behind. So I'm thinking maybe what we can do is I will, uh, I'll tell you what the matchup is, I'll tell you what the seeds are, and then the three of you just kind of jump in randomly and uh, give me your predictions. We'll just kind of work it out that way, and I will record all of your predictions faithfully here. Um, okay, cool. Uh, starting with the first fight of the night, number one seed Endgame versus number 16 seed Minotaur. Your predictions here. All right, so Endgame versus Minotaur. I, I have to give it to Endgame. I think that stinks. I want it to be Minotaur. I know Minotaur has beaten a very different version of Endgame in the past, but this is not that different of a version of Minotaur. And yeah, Endgame's going to win it. Yeah, I uh, as much as I want Minotaur to win, I don't see Endgame losing this one. Um, and I hope Minotaur gives them a run for their money. I don't think Endgame has taken nearly enough damage <laughs> to make it an even playing field. So I hope Minotaur does give them a run for their money. But in the end, I think it's going to be Endgame. But no shame in going out if they do um, to Endgame. Minotaur should be really proud of the season. And, um, you know, David Freitas should be proud of himself, too. This is clearly going to be Minotaur. I think you guys are out of your minds. Next. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, number eight seed Copperhead versus number twenty-four seed Witch Doctor. Maybe we can start with you, Chris. Uh, yeah, this is um, this is actually I think going to be a pretty good matchup. Um, I think Witch Doctor probably has Copperhead beat hands down in the push and pull, but Copperhead has um, 
you know, a much more dangerous front end, I'm just going to call it. I'm going to give this one to Copperhead. I'm actually going to say Witch Doctor for this one. Um, I think it will be pretty close. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to a judges match, but, um, you know, my money tends to go to uh, Michael Lately's driving. So it's a, it's a hard one, but I'll say Witch Doctor. Yeah, this is a hard one, but I am going to have to give it to Witch Doctor. I think that they they really do have the advantage in this one, and I I hope they win it for their sake. Okay, on to the next fight of the night. The number four seed Sawblaze versus number 20 seed P1. Let's start with you, Lindsay. <laughs> this is hot. I mean, it's my guess is going to say Sawblaze. I think, you know... There's a lot of surface area on the top of P1 for them to get their uh, claws into. Um, but P1 is very, very low and has demonstrated exceptional driving. So it's not going to be as easy um, as that. But yeah, and then I got to give it to Sawblaze, of course. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with Lindsay. I think this is a Sawblaze match. Um I do. Uh, I, I I'm looking forward to the ground game. If I would love to see P1 be able to get under Saw Blaze and at least kind of push him around, throw him up against the uh, the you know the uh, the screws and uh, you know make it make it an interesting match. I don't want to just see Saw Blaze come out uh, <clears throat> and uh, and and uh, P1's awesome run with uh, you know a single a single hit of that articulating arm. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm feeling the team here. It's Sawblaze. Sawblaze all the way. Okay. Uh, let's stick with you, Kyle, for the next fight of the night. The number five seed Uppercut versus number 21 seed Riptide. Yeah, this fight's going to be uh, explosive and silly and fun. I'm going to give it to Uppercut. Riptide's a great rookie. Uh, uppercut is just a one-hit KO machine with a very experienced team behind it now at this point. I'm going to have to give it to them. Uh, Man, this fight's going to be fire, though. It's going to be a really great time. You know, I can see Riptide outmaneuvering Uppercut on this. They, I think, are a little bit more nimble. But in order to kind of get the drop on Uppercut, it's hard to avoid that weapon. And I think that's where Uppercut has the upper hand. I'm going to say Uppercut. This is a... uh... Uh, a case of Fister beats Mister. Very good, Chris. Okay, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. The number 31 seed Hydra versus number 18 seed Black Dragon. Hmm. I'm curious if uh, Mr. Ewert has been uh, really um, <laughs> putting his best face forward on social media uh, as that was like kind of uh, the... Um, how I want to say this, the, uh, uh, the, the last chance that he gets to kind of peacock before maybe, uh, his exit from the, uh, from the finals. Um, but when it comes down to black dragon versus Hydra, uh, I could see Hydra maybe going one more, but I'm going to give this one to black dragon. So, it looked like in the last match, black dragon had their drum split it also looked like they sustained a lot of damage from Mad Catter. They did not walk away from that, you know, with all of their faculties. Um, so I think that this is actually going to be a, a harder one for them to win than normal. Uh, I, I still think it's going to go to Black Dragon. Um, so I'll say that. But, you know, it, it's hard to count Hydra out. 
Yeah, I want to take this opportunity to talk about Hydra for a minute. Now, I know you guys mentioned the social media, the social media like presence that Hydra has had this season, and uh, specifically the video that Jake made about this last episode. That video, it got me a lot of respect, or gained me a lot of respect for Jake Ewart and Hydra. He not only got his bot up and working properly, which uh, apparently with the issues he was having was very, very difficult to get it to where it needed to be. He also followed the letter of the rule completely and went out there with the same configuration that he was supposed to go out there with, but modified it so it would actually be effective for who he was going to have to fight, undercutter version of Ribot, right? That's a ton of work that he put in to win that fight. It stinks that the referees made the 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 movement call on Ribot the way that they did because it kind of sullies what should be a really, really good win for the Waiachi team and for Hydra specifically. Um, I think Jake Ewart is on fire right now. I think he's got every advantage in the world going forward. And on Thursday, I'm rooting for the bad guy. I want Hydra to win this thing. I think he deserves every last bit of it. Ooh, wild. Controversial uh, call there, Kyle. I love it. Let's stick with you for the next uh, fight of the night. Number seven seed Blip versus number 10 seed Jackpot. This fight is going to be fire. It's going to be so much fun. Both bots are going to go flying all over the place. I am extremely excited to see it. I have to give this one to Blip. I love everything about Jackpot. I I just don't see how they can take out a brick like brick like Blip. It, it, it's not going to happen. I think that this is 1000% Blip moving on and I'm really 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 excited to see it. This is going to be a great fight. I agree. I'm going with Blip, but I'm very excited to see what happens. Um you know what? I I am I'm I'm going to agree with you folks here. Uh I think that Blip is uh is really going to be able to get under- how many times could Jackpot get inverted really? Um so uh yeah, I'm going to side with Blip on this one. Okay, very good. And Chris, let's stick with you for the very last fight of the night. The number 3 seed Whiplash versus the number 14 seed Cobalt. Oof. Um a lot can go wrong here for Whiplash, uh, but I think that um, with a little bit of uh, you know aggressive control, Whiplash will do some Whiplash stuff, and we'll see a Whiplash victory. Yeah, I I see this one going to Whiplash. Uh, it's really a battle of like the old guard of drivers versus the new guard, um, and it's not going to be an easy win for either of them. Uh, I just see Whiplash being, uh, again, like more maneuverable. And that typically is who I give the win to, but not always. In this case, I'm doing it Whiplash. Yep. I can't disagree with anything Lindsay just said. I am also going Whiplash. Okay, very good. Uh, Well, that wraps up this week's edition of Snap Decisions. Look for our post on Facebook later today to send us your predictions. After the break, our interview with David Jin, sponsored by Max Amps. This interview is brought to you by Max Amps and the company's new exclusive line of combat robotics batteries called Max Combat. 
Max Combat battery packs are built in the U.S. and designed for both durability and performance for combat robotics. Max Combat batteries come with custom wraps, including your team's logo, internal hard skins for extra protection, puncture-resistant wire sleeves, and a custom metal Max box for charging and storage. Check out the Max Combat section at MaxAmps.com. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, David Jin of Team Ribot. Uh, David is captain of the team for the last three years. This year, they are running the uh, highest voltage BattleBot in BattleBot's history, 252 volts, fully charged running through his robot. Uh, We're going to discuss that and many other topics with him moving forward. Uh, So thank you for joining us today, David. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. We're really happy to have you. We have a ton of listener questions. Um, there might have been some controversy in the most recent episode, so a lot of folks have uh, things they'd like to discuss with you and, and see how you feel about it. Um, and so we're going to get into that a little bit, and we're going to just jump right into it. We've had this thing lately, David, where uh, we run out of time for all of our listener questions. So uh, just in in an effort to be fair to our, our very noble listeners, we're going to jump right into them. Sounds good. Um, so we're going to start off with a question from friend of the pod, Jackie DeSico. Uh, she says, since they didn't air your interview post-fight, can you share that conversation with us? I was so curious what your reaction um, what your reaction was. And um, just so you know, Steven Spurk asked a similar question. Um, so I don't remember exactly what I said. I know I definitely was really disappointed about getting counted out. Um, it's actually, if you pay attention in the background, um, immediately after the match, if you look when they're kind of zooming in on the team and on either team, you can actually see Robot driving back to its starting square. Um, yes, we are crowd walking, absolutely. But uh, we were able to end up like back in our starting square, which uh, in my mind, if we could still purposely go there, we are somewhat moving. Um, so I definitely was extremely disappointed about that. Um, I know it has nothing to do with either of the teams. Um, it's out of our hands, what is considered controlled movement. Um, but I think most of my interview is me just being like, uh, yeah, that, that was really sad. I'm really sad that uh, we were counted out. However, I'm really happy that our weapon system was rock solid. Um, we were doing things in that match that you don't see outside of Beetleoids. Uh, you rarely, rarely will see a heavyweight robot bouncing around on its weapon the way that robot was bouncing around. And at no point during the match did our weapon stop. It just kept going and going and going. And um, I think everyone on the team was really, really happy um, that our new voltage system, our new motors, everything, all of that held up so well. Um, the outcome of the match is unfortunate. Uh, what ended up happening is in one of the flips, Hydra uh, got us to land on the screws, and we landed at just the wrong point where our wheel got pinched into our chassis. And um, the reason we were crab walking, like somewhat, uh, we would like start to translate a little bit forward and then start crab walking again is because the wheel was actually machining like clearance for itself on the left side of the robot. Gotcha. Yeah, that's understandable. Um, so can, if you don't mind, could you jump into that a little bit for us? What are some of the major changes that we see to Ribot this year? You know, to the casual fan, it just looks like uh, a more powerful, a more reliable robot. Um, you guys have had a fantastic preseason and going into the tournament, you're looking extremely strong. Uh, so what were some of the like improvements and big changes you made to Ribot this year? Um, so one of the, I don't know if it's that major, but one of the changes we did make was we dropped from a 10-inch wheel down to an 8-inch wheel. Um, we were uh, not really happy with having our chassis that far off the ground, especially as the ground game becomes more and more important. Um, it's a lot easier when you don't have three inches of air underneath your robot. Um, so we brought the chassis way down. Um, if, you, if you look in the undercutter and vertical configurations, you'll see that we're um, 
significantly lower. Uh, and then obviously the major upgrade was the 250 volt uh, weapon system. Uh, this was inspired uh, heavily by the um, team behind Uppercut. Uh, as many people noticed in 2020, they were hitting harder than we've ever seen. Um, I don't know if they're quite hitting like Tombstone, but they were definitely doing enough damage that people looked like they had just fought Tombstone coming out of matches with them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, being Robot, we faced them firsthand and were promptly disassembled. Um, we were fortunate enough to survive the uh, onslaught from Uppercut. However, we did definitely take notice that nothing has ever hit Ribot like that. Um, we, we, took a, we took a look at the damage, um, which you can now see at Norwalk Havoc. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we looked over the damage and we're like, yeah, nothing, nothing is able to do that. How are they doing that? And then um, we asked a couple questions and we found out they were using um, a specific type of motor. And during the off-season, we put uh, a significant amount of our bandwidth into developing our own technology surrounding this motor. Um, and obviously, I think it's clear to see that it paid off. We're hitting harder than we ever have. Our weapon is more reliable than it ever has been. Um, so uh, overall, super, super happy with the upgrade. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or delve into it later, but there are some changes um, regarding the high voltage system going forward um, overall with BattleBots. Oh, interesting. That is very good to know, actually. Um, yeah, let's go into that now. What, so are you hearing this through the grapevine? Is this confirmed? What are, what are kind of the thought process on that? Well, so I don't want to confirm anything right now. Um, however, at the end of the season, we were warned that uh, a high voltage system, at least at the voltage that we were running at, would most likely not be allowed back due to safety concerns, um, which has its merit, right? Safety is uh, definitely number one priority. We definitely don't want anyone getting hurt ever doing this. Um, so uh, we do understand that. Uh, currently, as it stands, we're working with production about uh, whether there should be rule changes, a flat-out ban, something else. Uh, that's still all in the works. Uh, however, the likelihood of a unmodified robot coming back next year uh, is pretty unlikely. Fascinating. Wow. That's, uh, that's really interesting. I'm excited to see how that goes. Hey, congratulations for getting like a second rule named after you. Yeah, it's uh, potentially uh, potentially another rule. Uh, it seems like we were joking about it as a team that every season we uh, have to make some changes because production doesn't like something we did. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I love it. All right, so our next question comes from Jevin Woodrow, the world of Woodrow himself. Um, so he says, uh, my question is, how far did you see Ribot going this season with the bracket as it was? Were there any issues with Ribot that you foresaw being a problem further along in the bracket? Um, well, so I don't like looking ahead in the bracket as a personal thing. I know each match uh, could be your last. So uh, future planning only really matters if you get through the, pa uh, the match directly ahead of you. We were in the slight, uh, slightly unique uh, scenario where we didn't actually know who we were fighting, right? Because we had the, the defender versus Hydra play in. Um, not only anything against defender, but we had a feeling we'd be fighting Hydra and... Uh, uh, mostly focused on planning around that, uh, especially given that we'd already fought Defender, so we had a little bit of experience under our belt in that regard. Um, but yeah, I don't think we anyone on the team really looked that much further than Hydra. Uh, we knew that was going to be the tester. Uh, I think anybody who draws Hydra in the first round of the round of 32 is in for quite a fight. Um, so we were definitely preparing for that. And in terms of our weapon selection for that fight specifically, uh, we... Uh, I think they actually alluded to it during the episode. Hydra hasn't really fought any horizontals. They did fight Gigabyte, which is a full body spinner, but um, they haven't really fought any dedicated horizontals. And we've seen them beat vert after vert after vert. Their ground game is, I think, unmatched. So uh, 
yeah, we saw that. We took one look at that and we're like, yeah, we're not going to be able to beat them in the ground game. So uh, we'll give them something new. Uh, something new to see what they do with it. Yeah, that was uh, a lot of people on the internet I know were questioning that decision to go in with the horizontal. I, I thought that it was a really smart move. It's something that we hadn't seen from it or from or seen them fight yet. Um, so I'm glad that you kind of confirmed that for me. That's uh, That helps my ego a little bit. Thanks, man. Uh, also, in addition, the uh, undercutter is invertible, uh, completely invertible. It's exactly the same upside down. It's just driving backwards, right. um, upside down, whereas the vert uh, has to sit on those ears on either side of the weapon, so it can only drive with the rear wheels if it's upside down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and if you're going to get flipped around a lot, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you did rip their weapon off. So, I mean, obviously uh, it wasn't a bad idea. Yeah, we got close. Um, we ripped the, the main tongue off the arm, and then we were actually able to uh, tickle some stuff underneath the uh, arm, but we didn't uh, damage anything enough to disable the arm, unfortunately. It was close. We were close, but didn't quite get it. Um, so our next couple of set of questions comes from Alexander Archer. Uh, so he says, um, <laughs> how hard was it this year to prepare robots since half of you guys are still at WPI and half of you guys already have engineering jobs? Oh, that was definitely a uh, new challenge for the team. Uh, in previous years, we've had the luxury of everyone being together and everybody being together in a machine shop. Those are two things that are so hard to come by uh, once real life hits, uh, real life being post-graduation. Um, so it definitely presented a new challenge, uh, not only uh, with the time management of working a full-time job um, and trying to find time to work on a robot essentially full-time after work, um, and then the extra challenge was we were no longer based in a machine shop and we were no longer based in the same location. So uh, we definitely had to learn um, something about how to divvy up work and who could do what in their given situation. Um, it's really nice having the luxury of a full machine shop um, in front of you all the time. So that was definitely a challenge. I, we definitely ended off with a robot inside of a house, which uh, don't tell my landlord, but <laughs> I'm sure he would not be happy. Yeah, uh, they probably don't have anything on the lease about the highest voltage battle bots in history in a house, so you're probably fine. Um, so here's the here's the crux of the question. We'll just get into it. Why? And this is from Alexander Archer. Why did you guys believe robots still showed translational movement when you were counted out? Um, the reason we thought so is that if Hydra hadn't moved, um, so Hydra did something very clever um, that I think more teams will start to do. Uh, in the future, which is when they realized that their opponent was crab walking, they stopped, they actively stopped engaging, right? They started avoiding us and moving away from us actively. A lot of other teams don't notice or, or choose to continue to engage, um, which gives crab walking bots like kind of a better chance to, to keep the fight going. Uh, because of what Hydra did, uh, we weren't able to like, as you can see in the match, we weren't able to hit them after we started crab walking. Um, the reason we thought that we were still mobile is that if Hydra had just stopped and sat still, we definitely could have made our way over to them. Um, the ruling is kind of ambiguous. I mean, ultimately, the ruling comes down to just whatever the, the refs think, not the judges, whatever the refs think in the moment. That's really what uh, matters. But uh, the reason we were adamant that we were still moving is that if Hydra had just stopped moving, if they weren't actively avoiding us, we could still hit them at will. We could still move to them and hit them. Um, I'll be out very slowly. Um, but we think that like, if it's controlled, that means we can move with intent and we can definitely move with directional intent. Um, but uh, again, this is nothing on either team. It's whatever the ref thinks in the moment. Um, and I think if you had uh, taken our situation and put it into a different event, Norwalk Havoc or something else, um, we probably also would have been counted out um, given the strategy of uh, the opponent uh, no longer engaging. Um, I think 
the thing that upset us the most really is the fact that it's so inconsistent between fights. We've seen robots do far less movement and not get counted out. Um, and that's what really um, upset us that like, why was it us this time that got counted out? Whereas I don't want to name any names, but there's other fights where people are crab walking, but they continue the fight anyways. Yeah. I was uh, in preparation for this interview. I did read through the tournament rules. Uh, so uncontrolled robot movement. And if at any point that it appears that a robot cannot move in a controllable manner during the match, the referee will direct the team to show the ro- that the robot can move forward in an approximate straight line and or a specific direction. If the referee determines that the operator cannot control the robot's movement or direction, the referee can start the count. Um, and I, that does seem to like hint at there's a consistent methodology for it, but yeah, it doesn't seem to be applied consistently. Yeah. And like uh, in the moment, right, the ref makes the call. Um, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Um, so uh, yeah, we're, we're just, we're disappointed. I mean, if, you, if we're going to go out by knockout, we kind of want to go out when the robot's dead, right? Nobody wants to go out with a robot that still partially works. So um, we would have loved to continue that match. Um, I, I know that, realistically speaking, if we continued the match, uh, Jake would have just drove circles around us without ever touching us, and it would have gone to a judge's decision, and we would have lost anyways. Um, so I think, I think ultimately we were going to lose that match. It just really sucks to um, lose our like chance at the, the rest of the bracket because of i don't want to say technicality but just because we were still working um so yeah it definitely hurt a little bit um and it seems like last season it was you know a lot of folks were unhappy with the way the judges applied the the rubric um and this season it's a lot more about uh the way the refs are are kind of applying the rules um it's interesting how that that like shifted mm-hmm. us so quickly. I do think it's really nice that for a couple of the tighter decisions, they started posting the judges' scorecards. Um, so smart. Yeah, um, and I think that's uh, that's nice because it allows the fans to discuss what the judges may have seen. Yeah. Um, before it was so ambiguous, and it's just like I have no idea what the judge was thinking. Maybe they gave them full damage. Maybe they gave them full control. So I think it's really nice that they started posting um, scorecards so that fans could actually see kind of what the judges were. Um, seeing yeah transparency is always good absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely um all right so next question from alexander archer um would you guys ever bring back the the limbs on ribot only with a different material so that it won't make a big mess in the battle box i do miss the limbs i miss the silly legs i i know i'm not the only one yeah i think i think everyone misses the legs uh unfortunately without getting really clever with very exotic materials. Um, the easiest way to get the effect of the legs, the floppiness was to use foam. It's really flexible. It's really light. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, unfortunately I do not see the legs ever coming back. Um, for reference, our 2019 full frog, uh, costume, I guess. So the head plus the four legs weighed 23 pounds. Jeez. So we, we were essentially competing as a 225 pound robot against 250 pound robots. Um, so not ideal. We didn't, we didn't really like that. Um, and also something you can't see, um, is how much time and effort the team put into keeping those, uh, not keeping, uh, making those legs during the event. Um, yeah, cause you have to make new ones almost every single match, right? Like mold them and cast them and all that stuff. Yeah. They have like a 12 hour, I think 12 hour set time. So we were essentially making new legs every day for the match, uh, the next day. <laughs> Um, and they're not, they're not easy to make. They're, they're, they're messy. They take a lot of materials. Um, we burned through about a thousand dollars worth of foam, um, <laughs> in 2019. 
So <laughs> really not, not that trivial to, to, to make the legs and uh, continue running them for every match. So I really don't see them coming back unless someone has some magic material that's cheap and really easy to mold. Uh, I don't see us uh, bringing the legs back, unfortunately. I know I miss them too. That's uh, that's so funny. Like that's one of the things you hear from like all of the teams that are, are successful teams, but you know, after their first year, they they talk about all of the things they made themselves do that made them work a lot harder than they had to. Uh, and the home one is a really funny one. Didn't you guys also like, cro- like, uh, like twist your belts or cross your belts over in a, like a weird way in that first version of robot too? Uh, don't think we did anything too extreme with belts. No, I just thought that you guys did like, uh, like you crossed them. Like you did like a weird twist on them that you didn't, you found out later you didn't actually have to do. Um, I don't know why I remember like reading that in an MMA or AMA somewhere. We had we had an issue with the belt run on the undercutter. The reason you never saw the undercutter in 2019 is we super screwed up the uh, the belt run underneath the robot, uh, uh, which involves some some bending of belts and directions that you probably shouldn't shouldn't make them go. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's why the undercutter was not not there in 2019. Um, all right, so this is a you know time travel question. Let's go back in time. Um, you just lost this match. It stinks. Uh, it stinks for you guys. It stinks for Jake too, because you know he, I'm sure, wanted a clean win. Um, who do you see right now in the rest of the round of the 16 who has the best chance of winning the giant nut going forward? <laughs> it's a hard question to ask someone who's already seen it all. Uh, of because- course. That's why you have to go to the time machine and and imagine what David was thinking then. Well, so okay, I can give you I can give you the honest answer that I did have in the moment. And this is something that I've had since 2016, 2018, whatever year they first started, I always put my money, literally, if we were in Vegas, I put a little money on it, but I always put my money on Minotaur. Yes! Um, that is, across the board, I will always think that Minotaur has a shot. I think drum spinners, obviously, if you watch any of my Norwalk fights, um, I think drum spinners are um, extremely robust. They can hit really hard. They can take a lot of hits. Um, and I think that the king of that is Minotaur. Um, uh I will. I almost will never bet against Minotaur, so they were uh, definitely my favorite to win the nut at the time. Ah, I love that answer. That's so cool to know, and that makes so much sense. Just uh, <laughs> being a fan of your work at Norwalk, yes, I love that. Um, all right, so this is a possible NDA breach question. Feel free to ignore it. So, uh, are we going to perhaps see you guys in uh, whatever version of Bounty Hunters ends up happening? Possibly, maybe this season. Um. I'm not, I don't know if that's it. I, I don't know what level of NDA that is because I don't know if it matters if I confirm or deny that because it doesn't change anything. True, yeah. Um, as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, yes, you will see us in Bounty Hunters this year. Hey, I, will awesome. not tell you, <laughs> I won't tell you who, which bounty we're in or who we're fighting, but we will. We did sign up for the bounties. No, that's great. I would love to see you guys uh, fight more than just a flipper and control bots. That would be awesome. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was it was it was a weird season to end the season being like we didn't fight a single kinetic energy bot, not a single one. Yeah, um, there's so many in the field. It's like how did that even happen? Yeah, <laughs> so we, we definitely ended the season. And we're like, what just happened? We had four <laughs> fights with lifters and flippers, um, but uh, well, actually, I'll give you a little teaser. Our uh, our first fight uh, in the bounties is still just about the least conventional bot you can think of. Ooh. <laughs> that's a lot fun. thank you for breaking that that'll be great to know, get into um all right so next question from alexander archer uh, and you got into this a little bit but like uh ignoring possible rule changes because you guys are just too awesome 
what changes are you considering making to Ribot next season? Uh, ignoring rule changes because we're de- like we're definitely going into the motor tech to uh, reduce voltage um, just in preparation for potential rule changes. Uh, other than that, we would love to expand our module selection uh, options, though that is definitely kind of uh, far out in the future. Um, it should come as no surprise that I would love to have a drum on Rivot. <laughs> <laughs> but that is still that's still definitely in the works. Uh, in terms of the fundamental vertical spinner and undercutter, those will still be the vertical spinner and undercutter that everyone has grown to love. Uh, we are looking into more ground game technology. Obviously, that's what every team is doing. Um, but I can't reveal too much on that front yet. That's fair. That's fair. I will say, if you do end up getting a drum module, uh, Angie, the painter from uh, Team Yeti, she's probably going to be looking for a team next season. And, you know, she could probably do some cool, like, uh, wound up frog tongue thing on it or something. Just, uh, you know, throwing that out there might be interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can make it look like a baby frog, you know, otherwise known as a polywog. Yes. I love that. <laughs> Um, all right, so we do have a lot of questions about your uh, customized skins, um, like your your skins on the robot. So I'm going to pass you over to Chris, and he'll jump down that rabbit hole with you. All right. The first fan question I have is from Lindsay Rico, who asks, well, thanks for signing my book in December. Great season. I have to ask, you seem to customize your skin for each opponent. How do you do that? Do you have the skins handy when you come in? Do you paint them or make them uh, there at the arena? Uh, FYI, my favorite part of this season is where Ribot and P1 wave at each other in the box. It made my heart melt. Yeah, that, that P1 fight was pretty special. Um, Brandon Brandon gave us uh, his blessing to actually use his paints. So our paints exactly matched because uh, we used the same spray cans that he did. Um, but uh, to start at the beginning of the question, we do not make the frog heads on site anymore. Um, we make them all beforehand out of uh, vacuum form plastic. Um, so they're very light. Uh, and uh, they're, since they're vacuum form, they're easy to, they're very repeatable. So we can make a lot at once. Um, so we come in with eight to 10 white blank frog heads. And then we actually paint them all uh, during filming. Um, two of my teammates, Christian and Zeke, do a really good job uh, with their artistic talent, uh, creating the frog heads that you see on TV. Um, but yeah, they all start white. Um, they get their normal treatment where they go green with uh, black eyes. But, uh, if our opponent has an interesting theme, uh, such as P1, a very, very, very nice theme, uh, we go over, we talk to the team and we ask them, it would be okay. Um, if we, uh, kind of give them a little homage and, uh, painted ourselves to look like them. Um, so yeah, all the painting happens, uh, right after we figure out who we're fighting against, we immediately start that conversation and get painting. I think, um, your, your next spot should maybe be chameleon themed then. <laughs> yeah, we, I don't know how it really started. Um, in 2019, we just did it. Uh, I think it, we did it first with uh, Endgame to taunt them with the sunglasses, uh, in 2019. And then we're like, Hey, this is kind of cool. This is a little fun. Uh, everyone had a good laugh about it. So, uh, once we fought Sawblaze, Sawblaze also has a very unique uh, paint scheme. We're just like, this is cool. We're just going gonna to stick with it. All right. I have a question here from Mason, uh, Mason Runkle, who asks, my friends and I admittedly uh, didn't pay much attention to Ribot as a top contender until the end of last year. And uh, he doesn't feel that they were alone in thinking that. Now that Ribot is probably 
uh, one of the toughest bots to go up against. Have you noticed a change in perception of the team? And if so, what's that been like? Um, it's nice to get a little bit of uh, more serious attention uh, now. I know a lot of people in 2019 and early 2020 kind of still saw us as a joke, um, which is fine. We want to be cute. We want to be entertaining. Like We want to look good uh, for the fans. Um, but it always hurts a little bit. I don't want to say hurts, but it's always a little bit sad that uh, uh, people never really saw us as a scary robot, really. Um, but it does feel good that there's uh, some level of respect now for what we can do uh, outside of our visual appearance. Um, I think they mentioned it a couple times during the season already, but we've won all of our matches by knockout. Um, so I hope people start to notice that we really we really do hit hard. Um, we do our best to get a, get a good consistent drive, get a pretty strong weapon. Um, and those are really the building blocks for a competitive robot. Um, we still have ways to go. Obviously this year we didn't even make it to the top 16. So it's a little bit disappointing, but uh, top eight last year, pretty good. We'll see uh, where things go for the rest of the season for us. Now, I know that this is something that you touched on earlier with Kyle, but I have a question here from Mad Catter driver and Lynx captain Calvin Eba, who asks, what is your team going to do if BattleBots imposes a voltage limit? Your 250 volt system worked amazing this year. Oh, thanks, Calvin. Um, Links worked amazing this year too, and so did Mad Catter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, that's just—it's just like any any other engineering problem, right? We take our parameters. In this case, if they uh, reduce our voltage, then we just work with that. We'll um, come up with a solution at lower voltage. Uh, every previous year to this, we've run twenty-four volt um, with, I mean, functional success. I don't know if it was the best weapon in the world, but it was, it was functional. Uh, Two hundred fifty volt was awesome. We love that. Um, but if they cap us, we will work around it we'll come back with um i don't know a stronger robot but we'll come back with a functional very powerful robot i have a question here from andrew lynch uh, who asks ribot is a pretty modular bot are there any new weapon configurations we haven't seen yet or would you uh that you plan on using in the future um yeah i kind of already touched on this a little bit earlier but um we would love to add a drum to our selection um, we really think that'll add uh, another level of preparation for all the teams when they have to fight us um, given that we can we can do the brawler style of the drum we can do horizontal or vertical so it's even harder to uh, prepare for us and i really like driving drum robots I have a question here from matt davenport who asks can you tell us a bit about how your telemetry works what data points do you use and can you make adjustments to the bot on the fly um so I don't know how detailed I should go here, but the telemetry system uh, gives us uh, current and temperature from the motors. Uh, in previous years, we, uh, in previous years, as in last year, we uh, were able to monitor the weapon motors and drive motors. This year, we actually didn't monitor the drive motors at all. Uh, we were really happy with the performance we had last year on our drive, and uh, we didn't really change anything this year. So last year, everything was happy. We were monitoring it. We could tell everything was happy. So this year, we we're like... Let them be free. The drive will be free. The drive will do drive things, uh, whether or not we monitor it. Um, so all of our monitoring this year was on our new weapon motors. Um, yeah. Uh, was there a second part to that question? Uh, his his follow-up to that was, are you able to make adjustments to the bot on the fly? So we actually can update um, some parameters uh, within the robot on the fly, although we have not actually ever had to do that. Um, we try to prepare the robot um, fully beforehand in testing. Um but worst comes to worst, we could. I'd imagine that you probably also uh, update a lot of flies with your bot. <laughs> uh, hopefully just flies. Uh, sometimes testing the bot is a little bit scary. So uh, if the worst thing we've ever heard is a fly, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, frog jokes for days. 
Uh, all right. Uh, I have a question here from uh, Chris Horry who asks, while you guys didn't use the SRI mech outside hmm? – Oh, Shree mech. Shree mech. I, I, get, I, I always – where did that where did that word come from? Why is that a thing? I have, I have no idea. Uh, it's a real pain in the streamac. <laughs> it's from Robot Wars, right? It is from Robot Wars. It stands for self writing mechanism. Uh, there was a whole song about it. I if you go a streamac, um, it's it's just it's a weird British thing like pits in arenas. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, uh, I just never knew what the I, like self writing makes sense. What's the I stand for? Yeah, I don't know. It's self-writing, so S-R-I mech, and self-writing mechanism, they just shortened it in a very way. Oh. Okay. <laughs> if I was the UK and I named it, I would have called it Sir Mech. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll ask Chris's question again, uh, this time with uh, the correct enunciation. While you guys didn't uh, get to use the Shremek outside of uh, some salutes. Uh, what brought uh, about the decision to have it actuate across the back of the bot? Reminds me of a CC era minion. Uh, since others like Witch Doctor, Endgame, and Jackpot have it uh, along or near the spine or rear. So actually, it's not actually self writing mechanism. It's just used to wave at our opponents after we knock them out. Um, <laughs> no, but actually, uh, the reason we have it coming across the back or across the side rather. Um, rather than the rear edge of the robot, is that the amount of torque you need to rotate the robot along its side is much less than if you hinged it on the rear. Because the heaviest part of the robot is always going to be the weapon when you have a big spinner like that. Um, so the closer you can get the self-writing mechanism to the weapon, the better. And uh, we were concerned about torque limitations. Um, so that's why it's there. But also, it waves a lot better from there. Now, this might be in, in the vein of um, the question that we had just asked prior, but what kind of data are you guys getting from the robot during the match? How has it changed over the seasons, uh, if at all, and do you plan on revisiting it in the future? Do you find yourselves able to assess post-match uh, post, uh, fights better than other teams with that data? Um, we can see some extra data uh, to uh, analyze after the match, um, especially temperature data. We can see uh, spin-up time as well through uh, current um, so we get some data. It's a lot of it we use after the match. During the match, pretty much it's just pretty colors of if it's green, you're good. If it's yellow, it's probably okay. If it's red, you're probably not okay. Um, and that's usually temperature data. Um, we can also tell if an ESC has taken physical damage because um, it'll stop communicating um, with the tablet, um, which doesn't necessarily mean we can do anything during the match. It just tells us that, like, let's say the left side uh, weapon motor is no longer communicating. It's probably gone. Um, so we're on one motor and then on that one motor, we can monitor temperature and everything like that. Um, it did help us in 2020 against Mad Catter when we uh, caught fire at uh, somewhere in the beginning of the match. Um, we realized that our current limit um, was physically damaged and uh, the ESC went uh, ballistic and caught fire because it got really hot. And we could see the ESC getting really hot before exploding, which was kind of cool. Chris's last question, uh, and it's it's an interesting one. Hal made Duck Quack. How tempted is or was the team uh, to put a screaming frog sound on Ribot? <laughs> uh, we joked about that for a while. Uh, we just don't know how loud it actually have to be to get picked up by the box. Um, but uh, if if things work out in the future, we would we would not be against putting a screaming frog sound in the robot. I am keeping my fingers crossed. If we can't have a screaming duck, 
let us please at least have a screaming frog. Yeah. We have a question here from Mammoth teammate and NHRL competitor Brandon Bennett-Young, who did really well this weekend with Demogorgon. Uh, He asks, hey, David, it's always a pleasure to see you at events and see your quality in your machines. Remind us again how Ribot's logistics work with WPI. I remember that they're different, but I'm still curious about how the team receives support. Okay. Um, Well, first off, congrats, Brandon, on a good showing. Um, And... uh, uh, in terms of what the school does support us, they uh, provide us a workspace and financial funding. Um, I can't go into exactly how much they finance us, but they do cover, um, or they have covered 100% of our robot costs in previous years. Um, that was part of our sole sponsorship deal, where we would not look for other sponsors as long as WPI promised to cover everything for us. Uh, they also give us our machine shop, uh, which is just the school machine shop. They give us a little space in it so we can store all of our things and work on the robot there. Um, and I think the, the super unique part is what happened in our, uh, rookie season in 2019, um, the team actually deferred a quarter of school. So we like kind of soft dropped out of school and focused entirely on, uh, just getting robot ready for 2019 and the school supported us through that. They made sure that, um, all of our tuition things worked out. They made sure that all the deans and all the professors were aware of what was happening and, uh, essentially told us, have at it, do the best you can. Don't worry about classes, just go make this robot work. Um, And that was really cool. And I don't think any other school has ever done that for a a team. Do they give you any type of like applied learning credit? Because I I imagine everything that you do with work on your robots, you know, is relevant to, to other stuff you learn. Like, are they able to kind of transfer any of that to credits for school? Uh, are they able to? Sure. Did they? No. <laughs> we, uh, we did not get any. Uh, we did not get any educational credit for this. No classes. No nothing. Um, at the same time, we didn't technically pay tuition uh, whilst working on this robot, so that's okay by me. Yeah. Um, it would have been great if it would have been great if they gave us a little bit of credit for it. I'm sure we all learned significantly more making this robot than we did in any of our classes. So. Um, yeah, <laughs> but we didn't get anything. That's pretty cool, though. And it's it's really heartening to hear schools being so supportive of this. Like, as you said, I, I have not heard of any other school being as supportive as WPI. So I'm hoping other engineering schools or other schools that have teams trying to do something similar, you know, take take a page out of that book. Because I think, uh, you know, that's how people learn is through applied, applied, you know, projects, applied learning. And so, I mean, what better way? Um uh, Brandon has another question. What hobbies do you do outside of robots? I mean, I can't imagine you have a, a lot of time outside, but, but what do you do? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, unfortunately, Comet Robotics does not leave that much time for other hobbies, especially when you're competing at this little event called Norwalk, um, which seems to be happening every other day at this rate. Um, but, uh, I have also worked uh, a lot on electric vehicle stuff, longboards, go-karts, stuff like that, um, which is really not branching out that far from combat robotics. Um, but yeah, most most of my time is spent doing that. Um, just like every other nerd, I play video games too. Uh, Cool. Cool. All right. We have another question from um, uh, uh, Nora Cavic competitor, Alex Pezza, who says, what's up, David, if you were to build a robot that wasn't Ribot, what would you build? Also, why all the amphibian adjacent names? And we actually had that question from several people. So I'll ask that on his behalf. Um, 
Well, so the Amphibian names is just because we, uh, we're a lot of my teammates, especially at Norwalk, are all under the blanket of Team Robot. Um, so, like, I don't know, it's kind of fun to stay with the, uh, stay with the theme of the big robot. Um, I'm blanking on what the first part of that question was. Um, oh, if you were to build a robot that wasn't Ribot, what would you build? Oh, in my entirely unbiased opinion, uh, I would love to see a Polywalk scaled up to 250 pounds. Yeah. Um, I love driving that robot. I love working on that robot. Um, I already scaled it up to a 19 pounder with my teammate Christian um, in the form of polyester. Uh, and that has been a lot of fun to drive as well. So uh, if we threw out all the modules and all that stuff, I'd love to see a four wheel drive drum come back to battle lots. Uh, uh, specifically, I guess the polywalk's shape was based off of poison arrow. Um, it was a huge inspiration for me. Um, Currently, they have become a two-wheel drive robot, I guess, in the form of Copperhead, and Yeti still exists. Um, so it would be cool to have a couple more four-wheel drive drums. Cool. I support that 100%. Um, Sean Peterson asks, what was the fight before you ever started BattleBots and you started your journey? What was the fight that made you say, all right, I have to do that? That is a good question. Um. Oh, okay. I have to think about that one for a second. <laughs> or I guess if it's too hard to narrow it down to one fight, what, you know, what initially got you into the sport and interested in, in building and competing? Oh, okay. Um, that was easy. Uh, when I was in uh, high school, I actually started a local combat robotics league um, at, right as the BattleBots TV show was coming back on ABC. Um, and I used to spend, um, I think it was still Thursday nights, but I, whatever day it aired on ABC, I used to watch that with a bunch of my friends. And then um, I saw that there was a school team uh, in the form of Overhaul. Uh, MITU had uh, their BattleBots team there, and I was like, "Hey, that's that's cool. That seems accessible. That's uh, that's not professional engineers. That's not like I don't want to say old, but like older people. Um, they're actually students, and uh, it kind of inspired me to uh, see if wherever I ended up, I could do the same thing. And um, yeah, I. Uh, looked around and it just so happened that the winner of that season came from this little school called WPI. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I ended up there on my first day on campus. I have a picture with bite force actually. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so WPI going there was, was then a, um, a result of your interest in combat robotics. Like that wasn't just a happy coincidence, but it kind of influenced it. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, there was other factors. WPI is still like, uh, the project-based learning was really um, attractive to me, but uh, I definitely was well aware that Paul Ventimiglia and um, JJ from Force came out of uh, WPI. And um, when I did my tour, before I even got accepted, uh, I saw Force, And then on my first day on campus, Force was still there. So I got a picture with it. And uh, I remember actually telling some of the uh, people that I was hanging out with uh, in my like orientation group that I would uh, one day be on Battle Lots. That was my goal coming out of WPI. Aww. That's awesome. That makes me smile. Um, Sean Peterson's second question is, what is your favorite movie robot? Oh, uh, it's, it's a very close race between R2, R2-D2 and WALL-E. One of those two. Those are my two favorites. Both adorable. Both really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they're both great. Um, I think as a uh, series, I mean, obviously Star Wars is much bigger. They didn't really delve into WALL-E very far beyond the first movie, but uh, uh, both of those robots are great. and. 
Awesome. Awesome. Um, all right. So Ryan Hunter asks, is there any bot designs that you've never seen tried in smaller weight classes that you would like to see? Huh. Um, usually it's the other way around. I feel like I feel like a lot of most of the unique designs come out in the lower weight classes and then people attempt to scale them up higher and higher. Um, we see that a lot in the beetle weight class becoming 12 pounders and then some of them becoming uh, 250 pounders. Uh, one bot, one specific bot that's a 250 pounder that I would love to see in beetles or similar like insect weights is a whiplash. Ooh. I, uh, I don't know if it's the way that I don't know if it's the way that Matt drives whiplash, but whiplash is just such a cool robot. Um, it doesn't rely on this huge spinner to win matches. And um, I think it'd be an incredible design challenge. But it'd be really cool to see something um, like Whiplash in the smaller weight classes. I would so love to see that. Um, I don't know if I'm at liberty to say this, so I'm not going to say too much. But there are going to be some interesting drivers, I believe, at the May event um, coming up that uh, may or may not have insight into something similar to that. So that's all I'll say. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, interesting and very vague. Um, all right. so. Ryan Hunter also asks, when is Polywog coming to NHRL this year and are there any new modifications? Uh, it'll be coming in April and uh, I'm currently working on some things for uh, anti-horizontal attachments for it. Uh, Polywog has historically struggled um, a lot against horizontal spinners, specifically undercutters. Um, so I need a solution for that. But uh, yeah, if all goes well, Polywog should show up for April. Um, hopefully I can qualify for December finals and... Uh, see where I can go from there. Cool. 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 We'll see you there. Um, all right. So as always, we'll wrap up the interview with some very philosophical questions from Ma uh, BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr. Um, so the first one that she says is the most important question. If you are a frog, what kind of frog would you be? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I think uh, I think I'd be a bullfrog because they have a big appetite, and uh, <laughs> that just sounds like a good life to live. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, so you kind of touched on this already, but she wants to know: Do you miss the foam? I miss the foam. I should have stolen one of those trashed legs in 2019 when I had the chance. Oh well, this is I guess a chance for us to plug our uh, eBay store, which is opening up soon, which will have some of those trashed legs for 2019. Cool. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I miss the foam. I think everyone misses the foam. Uh, but I miss it more conceptually than realistically because uh, it looked great. It uh, was really funny to see flopping around on TV, but it was awful to make. Uh, and uh, a couple of my teammates, uh, specifically Tim, really put so much time and effort into getting those out every match. And um, yeah, it was just, I essentially lost one of my teammates to the frog that year. <laughs> their entire their entire job was uh, surrounding keeping the frog running. Uh, sorry, sorry, keeping the frog uh, available for every match. It's just so much effort. Um, yeah, lost the teammate, lost 25 pounds off of the bot's weight. Yeah, yeah I can, lost about I can see why in reality. Yeah, $1,000. Like, all that is uh, very valid. Yeah. <laughs> um, she also asks, do you enjoy being a team captain more or just getting to be a driver and being able to focus on that? That's an interesting question. Uh, I don't know if it's a more or less type thing. I think uh, the role of team captain is really important. Um, it brings the team together and uh, gets everything pointed in the right direction. However, as team captain, especially with my team, I have such talented teammates that 
really my main job is to point everyone in the right direction and then just kind of let them have at it. Um, they don't need that much uh, technical guidance. Everyone has their own small bots. Everyone knows what they're doing. Um, so in that regard, that's uh, kind of, I don't, I don't know if it's unique necessarily, but it's it's nice to, that, to have such a nice team around me. Um, uh, and as driver, it's uh, definitely a double-edged sword. It's a lot of fun um, driving the big bots in the box. It's also a lot of stress. <laughs> I uh, last year before my uh, uppercut for the uppercut fight last year, um, my Fitbit was throwing all kinds of warnings because I was maintaining a heart rate at 180. Oh my god! Yeah, it was really not healthy. I was very stressed before that match, and uh, my Fitbit was yelling at me about uh, I was something was wrong with my body, and something was certainly wrong at the time. Oh my goodness, that's terrifying. Yeah, so it's a lot of stress, but at the same time, it is a lot of fun. Um, uh, the reason it's so stressful is not really the winning and losing. It's that if I make a mistake or if I'm not able to perform, I am not just letting myself down. I'm wasting all of the work that my team has put in. Um, it's it's re- It really is a terrible feeling if you damage something, break something, lose a match uh, when we, sh- we could have won. Um, and then it's not just my effort, it's my team's effort that has like resulted in nothing because I made a mistake. So that's a lot of pressure. Um, but like I said, it gets offset by the massive adrenaline rush that is a battle on smash. So speaking of, you know, being a driver, uh, are we, for some reason, didn't get any questions about hot leaf juice um, from any of the fans. Um, are you planning on coming back with hot leaf juice? Are there any changes being made? I mean, the bot was so freaking dominant last year i don't know how much you have to change but uh are, are you uh, planning on bringing it back um yeah so fortunately we actually didn't really go through any of our spares last year um <laughs> i don't know if it was it was luck or domination or whatever it was um but we have a 100 percent brand new untouched hot leaf juice that has just been sitting there for a year um so that that version of hot leaf juice will likely come back um and then if or when it gets retired, as in we run out of spares or someone damages it enough that uh, we see like some fundamental flaw with the design, then uh, we will look into uh, redesigns and changes. But currently, as it stands, we have one fresh one ready to go for 2022. It is such a feat to be able to say, I mean, you competed with Hot Leaf Juice in, in many competitions last year. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think you may have won every single one. Um, uh, I, we didn't win May. Uh, was that, that was your first one, right? With that bot? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, like, I feel like you, it felt like you went almost undefeated whenever you fought with it. And then to be able to say, walk away from an entire season and have never even had to use your spare. I mean, that is like, that's an incredible performance. So yeah. Applause to you and to Lucy for that. Cause wow. I, it's really hard to say that. <laughs> Yeah, no, we were we were pretty overjoyed with the performance last year, and it's uh, of all the bots that we ran, um, she helped out with uh, a couple of the other bots that we we ran, um, and uh, it was definitely the least pain in the butt to run because it took the least damage, uh, needed the least repairs between matches, and uh, needed the fewest repairs. And yeah, overall, it's just a pretty nice experience. Um, it's also really fun to drive. It's really fast, um, which is uh, always a good feeling in the box. Um, very reliable and I mean it shows in its performance. Is it hard to 
you know, drive a bot that is so fast in an arena that's, I mean, it's, you know, it's not small, but it's definitely not gigantic. If you're very fast, it's the walls are going to creep up on you real quick. Yeah. Um, definitely have to pay attention to where the walls are and have to pay attention to where, oh no, I'm blanking. What's the big Brett called? Um, Fluffy. Fluffy. There you go. Yeah. Um, gotta be aware of where Fluffy is. Uh, Fluffy will, if you, if you, if you manage to run to Fluffy, Fluffy's not going to move. So, <laughs> uh, definitely have to be aware of that. But, um, I think Hollywood lands in a really good place where it's fast, but not uncontrollable. Um, and yeah, but definitely, um, there, there's a couple bots that we have to look out for. Um, uh, in particular, the big red flag for us is huge or UG, whatever they go by. Yeah. Um, we were quite fortunate that their belt derailed in the finals in December last year. Um, but they are just a really interesting bot to fight against. Um, obviously the, the family of huge bots has always been super unique and super hard to fight. So, uh, definitely on our radar for, uh, updates to fight them. And now there's a new, um, huge like bot called Bigish, and oh my goodness, forgive me because I can't remember if it's a, I think it's a 12 pound. I don't think it's a 30 pound, but yeah, there's a, there's another huge esque type bot in the, uh, in the mix. So, uh, is that not a multi-bot 30? Isn't that the plan? Um, I may be, I may be entirely wrong. Bigish. I think that this was their first, um, event in March. It was run by a business cat team who had Ram plan last year. And I know Jonathan Schultz was actually there helping, helping out. Um, I, and it is escaping me if it was a 12 or 30 and I'm very, very sorry to, uh, <laughs> team business cat, but yeah, it, the whole day is such a blur. It's amazing that anybody remembers <laughs> anything, but, um, all right. So, uh, Mary's next question. She has just a couple more. Um, if you were the frog of your choice, what do you think your favorite froggy snack would be aside from the tears of your opponents? Really philosophical here. Oh man. Well, don't, uh, bullfrogs eat like anything, don't they? That's I'm very mistaken. Yeah, uh, I, I think. They eat like mice and stuff. They, 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 uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe a mouse. Maybe a cat. Revenge from Ed Catter last year. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. So she goes on to say, when I did a pit tour, I saw Ribot team member. Uh, I saw a Ribot team member diligently painting a frog shell late at night. How many do y'all make in a season, and how much time do you need to dress up your frog for your opponent? I think you kind of answered this a little bit, but. Yeah, look, I can quickly touch on it again. Uh, we make eight to ten before the season starts. They all start off as just pure white, um, and if it, if we're going with a very basic just green shell, it doesn't take that long. However, some of the uh, uh, other liveries take a lot longer. Uh, the P one one in particular took quite a bit of time. Um, the overhaul one was pretty easy; it was just blue. Um, but yeah, so it really depends on if we're if we're trying to copy our opponent, the complexity can increase a lot, and that'll increase the time. The reason you saw someone painting at night is that oftentimes we don't find out who our next matchup is. So we can't pre-paint the frogs. So uh, the frogs just sit there unpainted and then uh, the announcement comes out and then immediately uh, my teammates have to get to work uh, painting the frog. So the last question here also has to deal with Ribat's froggy flage. <laughs> um, she wants to know what was your favorite and which team would you most like to dress Ribot up for in the future? And why is it hijinks? <laughs> uh, Hydrix would be interesting. They have a very bright color scheme. 
Uh, favorite, I think, is either P1 Frog or uh, Sawblaze Frog. I think those two are really unique and look really good. Um, uh, in terms of <laughs> hijinks, yeah, hijinks are very colorful. Another uh, really cool bot would be Hypershot. Um, Ooh. And uh, I think those are, those are pretty good bots. And I think we got the uh, previous to the season, my favorite one would have been P1. Um, but we already got that one out. So. The P1 one was pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. I'm really sad the spoiler fell off before uh, the match started. We had a taped on uh, cardboard spoiler. Oh, no. Yeah. If you, if you look at it uh, right after we start driving to the starting box, uh, you can see it fall off. It was not taped on very well. <laughs> so it, it came off immediately. But it did look really cool in pictures beforehand. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, David, for talking to us. You are always a joy to talk to and to learn from. We can't wait to see you in the Battle Box again soon and at Norwalk Havoc. Thank you very much. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for robots around the world. This week, we're traveling to Japan, where researchers have built a robot capable of peeling a banana without crushing it. The researchers used artificial intelligence to train the robot how to open a banana. They ultimately tested the bot using a pile of bananas, finding it was able to open them with 57% accuracy. So apologies to the other 43% of bananas who got squished beyond recognition. Uh, But for 57%, I suppose that's pretty good. And I'm sure that this robot is only going to ever be used for peeling bananas and not anything weird like maybe other Japanese robots might be. (laughs) Um, Do you know why they built a, a robot that could peel a banana? Why, Chris? Because they couldn't find a date. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) This is Luke's fault for making me read this one. This is on Luke. Give give Luke a break. He had a very long day on Saturday and he's not peeling well. Oh, man. I think we're really slipping up with this one, guys. I get it. Well, that's about it for us today. We want to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode and Nellie the Ellibot Captain Sarah Mollian for providing our amazing outro music. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. There once was a bot who's from the sea. The name of the bot was the Kraken of Teeth. Went up the buzzer sounds of the my scaly girl go. Soon may the spinner man come to knock her teeth right from her gums. One day when the fighting is done, she'll take her teeth and go. She'd not been two weeks from shore when out did come a metal jaw. The captain called all hands and swore he'd take that spinner in tow. Soon may the spinner man come to knock from her gums one day when the fighting is done she'll take her teeth